This episode of New Politics was released on the 6th of November, 2021, and produced on the land of the Wongle people. Welcome to the New Politics Podcast. In this episode, a diplomatic and climate change disaster in Europe for the Prime Minister, and we look at the continuing fallout from corruption investigations in New South Wales. I'm Eddie Djokovic, editor of New Politics. I'm David Lewis, Victorian-era chimney sweep. And thank you to all our new Patreon subscribers. Thanks for your continuing support. And during the week, a few people asked hang on where's David he didn't appear in the last episode but no need to worry it's all okay David you've been working on another little project that we've got underway what's that one all about we're doing a uh, series on the prime ministers of Australia starting with Edmund Barton in 1901 and going right through to Scott Morrison I want to look at the successes the failures the heroes the villains the ones who are just there the philosophies and the drives that powered these 29 men and one woman into the top job. Some went in reluctantly, others grabbed it. It's a fascinating story and this will be an occasional series and I'm really looking forward to sharing it with our Patreons. And also, just a reminder, you can get your T-shirts, mugs or other new politics merchandising for Christmas and you, you don't actually have to wait for an occasion to get these items. The details are available at our website, newpolitics.com.au and it's a good way to support independent journalism. We've just witnessed one of the worst weeks ever for an Australian Prime Minister overseas with diplomatic problems arising for Scott Morrison at the G20 meeting in Italy and the COP26 climate change conference in Scotland. With the diplomatic stoush with the French government leading the way, closely followed by recalcitrance on climate change action and using the conference to push fossil fuel industries and refusing to agree to a methane reductions target of 30% by 2030. And we expected this to be the case, but the cancellation of the $90 billion French submarine deal led to this response from the French President Emmanuel Macron, can you trust Scott Morrison much. again? Can you trust Scott Morrison again? We discussed. I'm, I, I do respect. Can you trust him, though? I mean, we will we will see what he will deliver. I have a lot of respect for your country. I have a lot of respect and a lot of friendship for your people. I just say, when you, when we have respect, you have to be two, and you have to behave in line and consistently with this value. Do you think he lied to you? I don't think. I know. Scott Morrison decided that his best response was to release private text messages from the French president to journalists at News Corporation, but this all seems to have backfired on him and Australia is now regarded as a partner who cannot be trusted on the international stage. Did Scott Morrison do the right thing here or is it just the behaviour of a man-baby acting like he's in the school playground? It's the behaviour of someone who really doesn't understand the art of politics or diplomacy. It's a somewhat of a convention in, is that the foreign minister is very usually opposed. There's a shadow foreign minister, but they generally tend to work 
much more closely with the foreign minister because your domestic philosophies, your domestic issues tend to become irrelevant. Now, Scott Morrison is a man who believes fervently in the free market and believes honestly that the free market will fix everything. This is despite decades of evidence to the contrary. Of course, he does very well from this attitude. He does very little work. It's hard to look at achievements of the government, except speaking to an empty room in Glasgow. There was a room around that there was to be an election on December 4. He would have had to have called that at the latest Monday the 1st to give you 33 days. He was in Glasgow, a trip he did not want to make. In fact, it looks like that he handed it over to Santos, the gas company, to be a the Australian representative. This is appalling. And when it gets to the dealings with the French, he tried to claim that he, he couldn't tell Emmanuel Macron personally because Morrison didn't speak French. It's extremely clear that Macron speaks excellent English, better than Morrison, really. It's extremely clear that Macron was lied to. They tried to twist it that Macron insulted Australia. This is the hubris of Scott Morrison. Australia was not at all insulted. If you watch the full clip, Macron speaks for 30 seconds or so on how much he loves Australia. He's fond memories of the trip he made here in 2018. He's deep respect for the Australian people. He pinned exactly who was at fault here, which was Scott Morrison. Barnaby Joyce tried to say, oh, it's just a contract. Try telling that to your bank. Barnaby, I know you're in a lot of debt. It's just a contract. Stop paying it. See how well you go. You don't break contracts lightly. Morrison also leaked American intelligence documents. This is extraordinary. Now, regardless of your views of the American industrial military complex and its influence in Australia, and I know that there is a wide range of views out there, you don't leak confidential details from another country. You just don't. Well, the behaviour of Morrison was actually quite unbecoming for a Prime Minister, irrespective of which side of politics the Prime Minister comes from, irrespective of which side of politics you support, doesn't really matter. It was quite unbecoming. And I can't think of any other Prime Minister who would actually behave like this. Maybe Tony Abbott would come close, but I think that even he had standards, and I can't imagine him stooping so low. Tony made a fool of himself in his lack of ability of doing small talk or seeming to grasp the bigger picture of things. I don't think he ever leaked confidential information, and I don't think he ever deliberately misrepresented what someone else said. He might not have liked it and he may have spun it, but I don't think he he misrepresented it in, in the way that Morrison has. Oh, absolutely. But it's also, so there's two issues there. There's the leaking of a private text message from the French president. There's the leaking of the confidential 15-page document from the United States president. And I just keep thinking or going back to another issue. Who is actually advising the prime minister or did he do this on his own accord? Did he receive advice to say, well, yes, go ahead. You leak that text message from Emmanuel Macron. Yes, go ahead. Leak a confidential 15-page document to embarrass the US president, Joe Biden. This is all going to work out very well for you. And, And of course, Leaders of any political party, they will leak against their enemies, either within the Liberal Party or within the Labor Party. But leaking information against leaders of international allies, this is really unknown territory. And it seems like Morrison wants to win every single political point, even the points that are not worth winning. And this might actually be his final undoing. There's a sense 
that Europe, America, a lot of Africa, nearly all of Asia do not want to deal with Scott Morrison. Now, in a sense, he's playing to the, shall we say, the Australia One base, the, the Australia First base, the One Nation base, if you like, where we don't need these foreigners telling us what to do. And sure, that sounds nice in theory, but in practice, it's a globalized economy. We need trade. And if every country in the world suddenly says, mm, we're not going to buy Australian wheat anymore, we're not going to buy Australian coal anymore, we're not going to buy Australian zinc and lithium wool, we're not going to encourage our people to go to Australia because the big tourist attractions, such as the Barrier Reef and Uluru, are being compromised by bad economic. What really needs to happen for relations to improve is for Morrison to be replaced. Now, who he's replaced by is a whole other thing. <laughs> Things could get worse. Probably not much worse, to be fair. But they mightn't get that much better. It may need an entire change of government and someone who can stand up with a world leader and present and push Australia's interests openly and honestly and in a way that honours both sides, even in disagreements. Macron said, you know, countries can disagree. There's not a problem there. It's the way in which you disagree. And also at international conferences such as the COP26 Climate Change Conference, every country gets an opportunity to display its wares and they're provided with a pavilion or a conference space to provide information about what the country is doing in relation to that actual conference. So the Australian Pavilion app COP26. It was like a new age advertising forum and the logo or the motto was positive energy the Australian way. But Australia's exhibits were mainly from fossil fuel companies. It was almost like a museum of old world manufacturing. Other countries were highlighting renewable energy and conservation. It seemed like Australia mistook the entire conference as a pollution and fossil fuel conference. So there was also the Santos display, the carbon capture and storage mobile display. And Santos, just so that you know, they've actually accessed $220 million of credit from a $4.5 billion emissions reduction fund created by the federal government. And this seems to be paying polluters to pollute. The entire conference was an opportunity for the spin cycle to continue. The, the positive energy ads are now being shown everywhere in Australia. And it seems like these are a mix of the where the bloody hell are you campaign and, and a sports bet ad. Australia's making positive energy and we're investing in more of it, like hydrogen hubs, oh, and microgrids, and seaweed for feed, yum, which means even less emissions. Because what we do today will define our tomorrow, authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. There also seems to be this odd level of recalcitrance from Morrison. The Australian way seems to be telling everyone else in the world to get stuffed, polluting as much as possible, and not listening to anyone else's perspective. At the COP26 conference, there was one interesting speech from the Prime Minister of Barbados, Mia Motley, just letting people know how climate change is affecting her country and the smaller countries all around the world. What must we say to our people living on the front line in the Caribbean, in Africa, in Latin America, in the Pacific, when both ambition and regrettably some of the needed faces at Glasgow are not present. What excuse should we give for the failure? In the words of that Caribbean icon, Eddie Grant, will they mourn us on the front line? When will we, as world leaders across the world, address the pressing issues 
that are truly causing our people angst and worry, whether it is climate or whether it is vaccines. Simply put, when will leaders lead? Our people are watching and our people are taking note. And are we really going to leave Scotland without the resolve and the ambition that is sorely needed to save lives and to save our planet? Scott Morrison was actually in that audience listening to that speech. He might have been listening, but it's not quite clear if he actually heard anything. But his resistance is all about playing out to the Australian audience. Diplomatic problems can be manipulated quite easily to favour the Prime Minister with the help of the compliant media, even if Morrison created the problem in the first place. But it gets back to that overall issue that Morrison doesn't care what happens in Barbados. He doesn't care what's happening in Scotland, France or the United States. He doesn't care if he ruins Australia's reputation when he tries to embarrass the French president or the United States president in an international forum. Morrison's sole focus at the moment is winning the next federal election. And once you get there, you don't have to do anything once you're in government. But it's all about winning the next election. Yeah, that's all he wants to do, too. There's no vision. There's no strategy. He's an empty shell of a child trying to puff himself up. Now, nature abhors a vacuum. He's never grown into the role. He's never acted like he wants to be there except for the fancy dinners and the nice house and the the various advantages that being in such a position gives you. He should never have been there. And I get the feeling that there's a lot of people regretting their vote in 2019. Well, I guess we also have to look at what the next steps are. So there's the international power players as well. Now, Joe Biden wants to pay Morrison back for his support of Donald Trump when he went to Ohio a couple of years ago in the lead up to the US presidential election. The French government will be holding the presidency of the European Union. for It's only for six months, but that's from January 2022. So they'll want to do quite a lot of retaliation here as well. But just looking at the next step, so Morrison has completed a trip that he really didn't want to go to, and we've found out the reasons why. He looked quite frazzled at the end. And the more that the Morrison prime ministership goes on, the more he seems to be replicating Donald Trump. It's the Australia first sort of approach. It's inward looking. And and, and you'd sort of think, well, if a country like the United States can barely afford to do this, why is Australia implementing this sort of strategy and tactic as well? Morrison is not a globalist. He does silly tricks like sending private text messages to the media from an international leader. Australia is a low to middle power. It shouldn't be doing this sort of stuff. But all of this might be a little bit moot anyway. Morrison increasingly looks like he doesn't belong, not just on the international stage. You know, that doesn't really matter. But on the national stage, he looks untrustworthy, unbelievable. He's a do-nothing prime minister. And it looks like it's not going to end very well for him. If all he'd done was avoid the bushfires, he might have got away with that because that's two years ago now. If all he'd done was not roll out the vaccine properly, he might have got away with that. If all he'd done was make a fool of himself on the international stage, he might have got away with that. But I think that the memory of the Australian public, they might not remember the specifics, but they will remember that this is a man clearly out of his depth. There'll be some people who think, well, no, he shouldn't do anything. We want smaller governments. And I've heard a little bit of, oh, Julia Gillard was a failure because of all the legislation she passed. And I'm thinking it depends on the quality of the legislation, but it was a government that got in and did its work. And most of the legislation was very good, by the way. I should, I should add that. The more Morrison tries to make it about him, the more his weaknesses and failings come to the forefront. 
the next election he can call is December 11th. If the rumours are true that the number counting has started from a few alternate candidates, he might have to call a snap election to hold his position. And that might be possible. Of course, the candidates that I'm hearing, Josh Frydenberg, who looks like he will probably lose the suit of Kuyong, Peter Dutton, who is one of the most unpopular members of parliament outside of his own seat. And that's about it. There could be dark horses ringing around too, using both of them as uh, stalking horses. Whether Dutton will fall for that again, one would hope not for a man aspiring to be prime minister, but you never know. You're listening to New Politics. You can subscribe to us on Apple or Google Podcasts, listen through SoundCloud, Spotify and Amazon Audible, or find us at newpolitics.com.au. And you can now follow us at Patreon. Former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian, she's completed her evidence at the New South Wales Independent Commission Against Corruption and her appearance has revealed an ugly side of politics that the public just never sees. And instead of politicians trying to reduce the influence of the ICAC, there should be more focus on the activities of politicians to ensure that their behaviour meets public expectations and government revenues are spent on the areas that need it the most. We didn't see any flowers delivered at the doorstep of the ICAC for Gladys Berejiklian, but maybe the penny has dropped for the public and they're starting to understand that there's a massive gap between what political leaders say and what goes on behind the scenes. And whenever there's a politician, corruption is not too far behind. For those of us who are looking closely, it was clear that something was rotten in the state of New South Wales. Gladys didn't start it, I think that's fair to say. We can go back to Mike Baird and Barry O'Farrell, who made some very questionable decisions on development in New South Wales. But certainly Gladys didn't do anything to stop it and continued it on. That's very clear. She's presenting herself as someone who was, as someone who trusted a, a man who turned out to be no good. And I don't think that that's not part of the story, but I don't think it's the whole story either. I think once you're in a certain position, the judgment you use is crucial. And that she was so seemingly easily duped by him. As soon as the evidence started coming through, it was clear. And we knew that she knew these evidences because they were continually presented at ICAC. It was compelling viewing. I suspect the next stage where they go away and they write their reports, whether Gladys will be charged for anything is another question. Part of me thinks that she won't. Part of me thinks that they might get her on um, conspiracy to commit corruption. She also shredded or ordered government documents to be shredded, which is something that in New South Wales, and I think in most states of Australia, is very much against the law. So whether they decide to pursue her for that and whether they think it's worth it, on the other side, her public reputation has been destroyed. It is unlikely she will get cushy jobs in the near future in the way Mike Baird and Barry O'Farrell did. And also, I am aware of the, the gendered nature of this, that the premier they go hard after is the female premier. And 
should they have gone after the other two? If the evidence was there, absolutely they should have. And does it lead from before then? Well, we know that Obeda and McDonald on Labor weren't exactly squeaky clean, and they and they were caught too. I suspect it's not finished. I think they're just being a bit more cunning about it. Well, these types of hearings are absolutely fantastic, and I'd recommend holding the ICAC hearings 24 hours a day, even if they've done nothing wrong. It's just setting up a session where this MP or that leader or this minister, here's your two hours, a little bit like a confessional box in a Catholic church. doesn't matter if you've done anything wrong. Here you are, confess what you've done. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. But the good thing is that politicians and former politicians, they can't get on their soapbox and spin the facts like they would in the parliament or within the media. They are forced to answer questions put to them by the council assisting or by the commissioner. They can't duck and weave and avoid the questions that are being asked of them. This level of scrutiny can only be a good thing for politics. Resistance from New South Wales MPs and from the federal government means that they've got things that they don't want the public to see, and that's not good for democracy. And at the moment, the way that I see it is that parliament isn't holding politicians to account, and the media isn't holding politicians to account. The media is meant to be the fourth estate of society, that old idea of the clergy, the nobles and the commoners, and then there's media that acts as a gatekeeper and all of that so if the standards of parliament and the media hadn't dropped so much well we probably wouldn't need a federal icac or a new south wales icac but as it is the icac is filling in those gaps exactly and one of the things that people would have noticed is that whenever gladys tried to put the spin in the commissioner pulled her up on it every single time it's a yes or no question stick to the point answer the question and a couple of times Gladys said, can I have the question again? Can, I, can you repeat the question? Because she had decided on this line. Her advisor, Cruikshank, who was really forced to admit that Gladys had lied to her, was one of the tragic pieces of human drama. I suspect that if I was to meet Miss Cruikshank, we wouldn't get along. We'd disagree on much stuff. But I couldn't help but feel sorry for her as this woman she admired and trusted had lied to her face-to-face, and then her lawyer on the last day got up and asked some very awkward questions that Gladys couldn't answer. I think you're right. I think we should have the ICAC commissioner ask everyone two hours a day every three months, what have you been up to? How did you make this deal? What are the numbers involved in this deal? Who benefits? I think we'd be pleasantly surprised in some cases. I think that's fair to say. I think we'd be horribly disappointed in other cases and others we'd just be disappointed but not surprised. (laughs) Well, the media is also still offering a lot of support for Gladys Berejiklian and this has got a bit of leakage over to the federal sphere as well, but a lot of journalists are questioning the role of the New South Wales ICAC and they're also questioning the role of the future federal ICAC if that's ever introduced, unlikely under a Liberal National Party government. But we also had the spectacle of some ABC journalists wearing their suffragette white when they were reporting on Gladys Berejiklian and her evidence at the ICAC. They still support her and they'll do as much support as possible Berejiklian is still always depicted as smiling in news broadcasts whenever they have a little grab of her. She's there smiling, beaming, whereas Maguire is unhappy and seedy looking as well. It's almost like they just will not let their support for Gladys Berejiklian rest. And, And I'm also wondering, well, how soon will it be before the media starts using the term 
disgraced former Premier. It's already been applied to Daryl Maguire. It's already been applied to a number of other former politicians. When will they start saying the disgraced former Premier Gladys Berejiklian? And that's what she is, and that's what she'll always be. Whether that's right or not, the evidence doesn't suggest that it's an inaccurate case. And like the old blues song, nobody fault but mine. And that's what it was with Gladys. It was nobody's fault but hers. And several top state councils and Queen's councils have suggested that the ICAC have conducted their investigation very, very well. And they say that there may be a case to answer. They suggest that Berejiklian should have declared her conflict of interest, but they're not sure if she'll face criminal charges. But that's all up to the ICAC anyway. But the New South Wales ICAC, they will release their findings in the early part of 2022. And this has got the potential to derail the federal election campaign. But whatever the case is, this is the model for a federal ICAC. There's absolutely no question about that. But as a result of all of this turmoil in New South Wales, there will be five by-elections for the New South Wales Parliament coming up. And the New South Wales Electoral Commission has said that they won't be able to practically hold these by-elections until at least the middle of February 2022. There's also a South Australian general election on March the 19th, 2022. So there's a few electoral issues that might throw a spanner in the works for the timing of the next federal election. We did discuss the idea of possibly December, but it seems like all of the momentum events that Morrison wanted to coincide with the next election are quickly disappearing. The lockdowns are over, although there is a short three-day lockdown in the town of Catherine in the Northern Territory. Vaccination rates are almost reaching saturation point and that's fizzling out. The big bang idea of the freedom days and we vaccinated the nation type of rhetoric, they've all actually passed and there's not much else for Morrison to to run on. He can't use that who do you trust idea anymore because he's totally untrustworthy as recent events have shown. I think the memory will tend to remember the negative things rather than the positive things because outside of Sydney, really, there were a lot of people who couldn't get vaccinations in time. Country school teachers in New South Wales and Victoria, even though they were told they had priority, driving in from, say, Canoundra to Orange, which is a two-hour round trip, really, to find that the line was too long because every other teacher from in the area had come in too. And so you had to work out, do you wait and lose your whole day in the line or do you come back another day and potentially suffer the same thing? These types of things start to hurt. I note in South Australia, the Attorney General has been hit with a conflict of interest for a development on Kangaroo Island. If she's found guilty, and that will likely come out just around the time of a federal election and will have massive effect on the state election. It's quite possible that the Marshall government will be returned. It happened in New South Wales. The Berejiklian government had 10 ex-Liberal members on the crossbench and they were returned. But South Australia is a much smaller place. Things ripple out a bit quicker. Oh, there's always a number of different factors and influences on election dates and also the election campaigns. But I was scratching my head during the week trying to think of all the different things that Scott Morrison could run on during the next election campaign. It's just that there's not really much there. There's, he can't really talk about the economy because the economy is not really performing that well. And, and of course, there's been lockdowns in Victoria and New South Wales over the past seven or eight months. And that was primarily caused by ineffective quarantine control in Sydney at that time. But there's just a lot of other factors where you think, well, there's so many things that governments should be able to present when they go into an election campaign, but there's just nothing there. 
Yeah, there's absolutely nothing. And I think if you look at the imagery of Scott Morrison, it is of Scott the saviour, Scott the good bloke, Scott the family man, but he hasn't saved anything. It's clear he puts his family above everybody else's family, not even at the same level, but at a, but above. And Scott the good bloke has been totally blown out of the water by his dealings with our international allies. You can't put anything past them. I think he's going to find it hard to pork barrel now because some of that pork barreling didn't work so well in the seats that, that he did pork barrel in. And it will be interesting. Again, I don't want to call the election and I still think that he might scrape through, but I can see less reason for him scraping through. That's it for this new politics podcast. Thanks for listening in. If you'd like to support our style of journalism and commentary, please make a donation at our website at newpolitics.com.au. We don't beg, plead, beseech or gaslight you about journalism coming to an end. We just keep it very, very simple. If you like what we do, please send some support our way. It helps keep our commitment to independent journalism ticking along. I'm Eddie Djokovic. Thanks for listening in and it's goodbye to our listeners. I'm David Lewis. We'll see you next time.